0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Cross Point Podcast. And please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd love to have you join us in person at 10 a.m. this Sunday at Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can also connect with us online at frbc.com. Thanks again for checking us out. And enjoy the episode.
1: Begin reading in Romans chapter number one and verse one. The Bible says this Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So we've entitled this series, The Power of the Gospel. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ? To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you read verse number 6 and verse number 7 out loud together with me? Verse number 6 and verse number 7. Let's ready, begin. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ? To all that be in Rome, beloved of God called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today I want to just really walk you through an introduction to the power of the gospel, an introduction to the power of the gospel. What do we see right in these beginning verses that gives us a glimpse and really shows us how powerful the gospel is? And so let's pray we'll ask the Lord to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would give me wisdom and the words to say as I teach. Lord, you know that it's been a hectic morning with many distractions. And Lord, I know uh, just from experience that when that occurs, um, that you have something in store for us in your word. And so, God, I pray that you would help me to hone in on that which you have taught me uh, throughout this week. And Lord, that which you have laid on my heart. Lord, give me the words to say. Empty me of myself. Help me to be clear in what I say. And Lord, may we walk out of here, Lord, challenged by the power of the gospel in our lives. In your name we pray amen all right we got a quick poll that we're going to start with how many of you had a game boy growing up how many of you had a game boy growing up all right let's let's walk through a couple of of improvements here okay how many of you you had like the old school game boy that was the the block it was the gray block okay this is going to really date some people it was the gray block and then it had like just the green and gray screen all right that was the one i started with okay how many of you advanced to the game boy color game boy color there it is. All right. So mine was lime green. I remember I got it one year for Christmas when we moved. It was when we moved here, and one of the games that I had was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? All right. Did anybody else have that game? No. Okay. Right. I was the only nerd that had it. Right. That's fine. All right. But I think it was. But you had it. Sweet. All right. So. I remember we drove all the time back and forth to West Virginia for Christmas break and so I would lean up in between the seats and I would say, "Mom, dad, like here's my question. The the problem is and the, this has definitely changed now that everything's on your phone and you can update and there's a software update and update your app, all right? The problem with games back then is once they were developed, they were developed. There's no way of getting improvements. So the good news is that you could begin to memorize the answers to the questions, all right? So this is one of the questions that for some reason and I told my wife, I was like, I had to pull deep into the recesses this week to pull out this illustration, all right? But one of the questions that always stood out to me as a little kid was this question. It said, where did Exxon Valdez run aground in March of 1989? Now, remember, I'm a third grader, maybe fourth grader at the most. This might as well have been speaking Chinese, all right? Like, and like I remember I was so impressed when my dad knew the answer because I'm like, the only word I know in this is Exxon. And I just think it's a gas station, which we'll get to in just a second, all right. But where did Exxon Valdez run aground in March of 1989? A, Monterey Bay. B, Prince William Sound. C, Cape Cod. D, Gulf of Mexico. Let's see if we actually know that. Does anybody know the answer? I do. All right. All right, I'm pretty smart. But no, I remember I would give those to my dad, and he would always go, Oh, B, Prince William Sound. B, Prince William Sound. Well, so I was thinking this week about okay, what are some of the most historical events? that have occurred in our history, like the ones that, that just have completely impacted history. And Exxon Valdez running aground is one of those events. So when I went back to look up some of the historical things that have occurred, this occurred on March 24th of 1989 in, letter B, Prince William Sound. And I've got some pictures of what happened, so um, we can go to the next one. But what it was, was Exxon Valdez was an oil tanker that ran aground just off the shore of Alaska, and it affected close to 1,300 acres. It has spilt 11 million, 11 million gallons of oil off the shoreline of Alaska. And so here's some stats on the next slide: 11 million gallons of oil spilt, 1,300 acres of shoreline affected, an estimated 250,000 seabirds perished in it, 2,800 sea otters, 300 harbor seals, 250 bald eagles, and at least 22 killer wells and billions of salmon and herring eggs you actually see a killer well uh, washed up on the shore as a result of that and to date it is considered one of the largest ecological disasters in history and when you think about the ramifications of all of this in fact one of the articles that I read this past week said this that long-term monitoring and marine restoration is still ongoing to this date Millions and millions of dollars that Exxon had to pay out to restore this. But it impacted history. In fact, there were, there were, um, there were acts that came in 1990. There was a whole organization that came in 1991 as a result of this. There, became, there was more government involvement, as I'm sure you uh, already figured out. But what you have to understand is this, is there are very few things that impact history and impact the world the way that something like that does. It takes a pretty drastic event for that to occur. The book of Romans is something that drastically changes all of human history. The book of Romans is something that really cuts through just the monotony of life and begins to promote the gospel. It's interesting to me that as your New Testament is laid out that you have, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels, okay? Those are, that's the story of the Gospel. But then you have Acts, and it's really how the Gospel went out into all the world. But immediately following that is Romans. Romans was not, it's not in your Bible chronologically. It was not Paul's first book that he wrote. But it was by many points his most important book. You've got a quote there in your notes that says this. Some passages in his other writings may reach higher emotional heights or contain momentary flashes of deeper intuitive insight into the wonder of the gospel or set forth the cosmic grandeur of the gospel in more profound terms. In its totality, however, Romans stands alone in the massiveness of its thought and the power it has released in history through its testimony to the gospel as the power of God for salvation to everyone that believeth. You've also got a quote here on the screen that I want you to see by Martin Luther. He said this, Romans is the true masterpiece of the New Testament and the very purest gospel, which is well worthy and deserving that a Christian man, so ladies, you're off the hook, okay? That a Christian man should not only learn it by heart, word for word, but also that he should daily deal with it as the bread of men's souls for it can never be too much or too well read or studied. And the more it is handled, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. So that is from Martin Luther, which by the way, Martin Luther, the 95 thesis, once again, the reformation, which obviously does not always go hand in hand with some of our beliefs. It kind of has changed throughout that, but the 95 Thesis that Martin Luther nailed to the door of the Church of Wittenberg was done after he read and studied the book of Romans. And so this is something that has absolutely shaken the Christian faith to the core because it is something that we can come back to and say, this is what I believe. So with that in mind, I want to give you the main idea for today's lesson, run you through a couple of quick points and subpoints, and then we'll move on. But the main idea is this. The gospel is the most important thing in the life of every true disciple because of who sacrificed for it and because of what it does in the lives of all who believe it. The gospel is the most important thing. We'll close with that in just a second. So I want to walk you through a couple of points from this passage. The first, one, the first thing I want you to see is this. The power of the gospel in the life of Paul. The power of the gospel in the life of Paul. I think the one thing that you can understand that you can see from this passage and really from the life of Paul in regards to the gospel is if you want to write this out to your side is that it is the gospel of change. A couple of months ago as we were walking through uh, our change series, we, we went through the life of Paul, where he came from, how, how the Lord impacted him, how the Lord changed him. If it were not for the gospel of Jesus Christ Paul would have still been a murderer. He would have still been a persecutor. And so when Paul says in verse number one, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, let's recall where this Paul came from. Let's remember who he was. Let's remember what he was known for. Let's remember that he was someone who was against the gospel. And now, because of the way and the power that the gospel has in the lives of all who believe in it, as we've already said, Paul is now saying, I'm not that. In fact, I'm the very opposite of that. I'm now a servant. I'm now someone who's separated unto the gospel of God. And so you've got two thoughts here under the power of the gospel in the life of Paul. First of all, the gospel calls you to servanthood. The gospel calls you to servanthood. He says this, Paul. A servant of Jesus Christ. We open up our letters with an an address to who it is written to. The Bible opens up its letters with who it is written by. And what he's saying is this, is as I'm writing, what I want you to know me as is a servant of God. And can I just be very honest with you? Servanthood, service to Jesus Christ is becoming rare. It's becoming something that we don't want to be known by. It's becoming something that takes a lot of humility. And from the very beginning of this passage, Paul says, I am a servant. You've got two verses there in your your notes, Mark 10, 45. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. I wonder when was the last time that you were characterized as a servant of the gospel? When was the last time, and please, I want you to think about this phrase and this question because it's one that's been ringing out even in my own life. When was the last time that you sought to serve rather than be served? You see, for many of us, we almost believe the gospel and we become a part of the local church and we become a part of the local body, and we think that it is the church's job to serve us rather than it is our job to serve the gospel who, watch this, gave everything so that we could believe in it. What if Jesus Christ would have not had a servant's heart? What if Jesus Christ would have come to this earth and found ways to, for people to serve him? But no, according to Scripture, he found ways to minister rather than to be ministered to. And it's, he taught the disciples that whoever was the greatest was the servant. But then secondly, the gospel separates you to itself. The gospel separates you to itself. He says this, separated unto the gospel of God. Sometimes when we have a, when we talk about separation... We have a tendency to only view it as legalism and rules and, and maybe a dress code or, or a way to act or a way to live. And, and to a certain extent, it is all of that. But I would argue with you this one thought, that separation is an outflow of what you've already experienced in Jesus Christ, meaning this. When Paul says that he's separated, please note that he is not saying, I'm separated from the world's culture and the way that the world is living. But he says, I'm separated unto the gospel of God. And you want to know something that will help you as you view separation is if you stop viewing it as simply a separation from something, but rather a separation to something. You see, the gospel and the world are on two very different spectrums, meaning this that you have the world and its ways over here and you have the gospel and God and his ways over here. And you can separate from the world and still not separate to the gospel. You can separate you can say, "Well, I'm not that" and you can end up over here. You can say, "Well, I don't I don't have a TV and I I don't go to Disney and I don't do this and I don't vote for these people and I don't And you're separated. Yes, you look different, you act different, and you are different than much of the world. But unless you are separated to something, which is the gospel of God, you will never make an impact by simply just having beliefs and standards and looks that are different than the world. There is a separation from something to something. And as Paul says, I'm separated to the gospel of God. I want you to see that he says that he's separating himself. He's putting himself in a category all by himself with the other christians around the world and so when you look at separation what you must understand is that there are a there is a mark that the gospel puts on every christian i want to show you a quick picture and see how many of you recognize it. how many of you have ever seen this in someone's twitter bio or facebook or, or whatever how many of you know what that is does anybody actually know what that is you've maybe just seen it Do you know what it is Actually, the Arabic letter N, the Arabic letter N, meaning this. When it began to show up in a lot of people's social media profiles, which we think that's a way to stand with other people, and I would argue that that's probably not the greatest way to do it, all right? But it's the Arabic letter N. In 2014, when all the world's eyes was on Syria because of some of the unrest and turmoil there, there was actually persecution on the ground persecution happening happening in Iraq. And the way that the Muslims would identify the Christians who lived in those areas is they would go and they would actually spray paint the the Arabic letter n on the houses of the Christians telling those, the, the terrorists, or telling those who would come after them that Christians live here, it's time to pull them out, it's time to draw them out, it's time for us to begin persecuting them. And what became, became a mark that actually identified Christians for the terrorists also became a mark that the rest of the world began to look into. The reason they used the letter N is because they used it to identify them as followers of Jesus the Nazarene, capital N, Nazarene. And so all of the world's eyes begin to look and say, okay, what is this letter? What does it stand for? And what they saw is that these people's lives, although in a country to where much of their worship had to be done underground, much of their worship had to be done undercover, there was still enough of a difference in their life that people, when they walked through, said, we will mark them. And while you and I do not face persecution, and I think many of us rejoice in that because I'll just be honest with you, there's probably not many American Christians who are ready for it. I wonder if there would be enough evidence for the letter N to be placed on your life. Is there enough of Jesus in you to where people look at you and say, I can tell that something's different about you? And that's exactly what you see in the life of the Apostle Paul. So first of all, you see the power of the gospel, which is essentially the power to change in the life of Paul. But then secondly, we've got to hustle. You see the power of the gospel by itself, the power in the, of the gospel itself. You see this in verses 2 through 4. He says, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You see this, first of all, in the power of the gospel is seen through prophecy. The power of the gospel is seen through prophecy. In verse number 2, he says, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. I want you to think for just a second. Think about the the way that, the, 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 especially the Jewish people, promoted the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament and you see all of the prophecies of the gospel that is to come, of the coming Messiah, and that never happened, do you actually believe that there's power in that gospel? There were Jews that missed it because they were so focused on it being something that would usher in some other sort of kingdom. But if the prophecy is there in the Old Testament, in the Holy Scriptures, as he says, and yet it never occurs, is the gospel actually that powerful? And when Jesus Christ shows up in the lives of Christians, when he shows up in the lives of believers, when he saves us, when he buys us back from the slave market of sin, what he is saying is that thing that the Old Testament writers looked forward to, that's something that's occurring in your life. That's something that's changing you. So first of all, it's seen through prophecy, but then secondly, the gospel is seen through the Son. We don't even have really time to dive into all of verse number three. There's so much there, but I want you to look at Colossians 2, 14 and 15. It says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, knelling it to His cross. I want you to think for just one second, okay? If the gospel rested in the hands of mankind it would not be powerful if it was just up to a good man to save us from our sins it would not be powerful but the power of the gospel rests in this that jesus christ the very son of god is who came to this earth It wasn't just a good person. It wasn't just a good teacher. It wasn't just a moral man. It wasn't anything that really history identifies him as. It was the very son of God, which is why? That the deity of Christ in your life is so important for you to understand because if Jesus isn't God, the gospel isn't powerful. And what we must understand is this, that when the son of God came to this earth, he brought the power of the gospel into our lives. Because if he's not who he says he is, then nailing it to his cross means nothing. There were two other men who died beside, by, beside Jesus, and outside of their story being recorded in scripture, they have no other, their deaths and their crucifixion have no other eternal value. But the man who is in the middle has an eternal value and an eternal claim that affects you and I even today. But then lastly, the power of the, resu- of the gospel is seen through the resurrection. Once again, if Jesus Christ dies and never raises, he's just another man with a tombstone. But because of his resurrection, the gospel is alive for you and I even today. We'll close with this last thought. And that is this, the power of the gospel in your life. I want you to see verses 5 through 7. He says this, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom ye are also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul writes to these Romans, here's what I want you to understand. Rome was a place that was notorious for its persecution. At one point, the Jewish Christians in Rome had been driven out by an emperor. Many believed that they had been welcomed back by the time that this book is being written. We'll get into that a little bit later. They've been welcomed back, and now they're coming, and they're beginning to get back into the church, and there's a little bit of division, and Paul is writing them uh, to them about the power of the gospel so that they can see that it doesn't matter about what race you come from. It doesn't matter if you got kicked out of Rome. It doesn't matter if you've been persecuted you haven't been persecuted. The goal and the focus is the gospel. And as he writes right from the very beginning, he says, this is what the gospel has done in your life. First of all, you'll see this, that you are not alone in the gospel. He says, faith among all nations. Can you imagine living in a time, (laughs) can you imagine living in, I was going to say, in a time without social media, and we probably always say, yeah, I would love that, right? But can you imagine living in a time where you didn't know that there were other Christians around the world facing the same problems that you were facing? Can you imagine feeling like that you were isolated if you had faced persecution, if if, if your family had had disowned you because you had received Jesus Christ as their Savior, and you didn't know that other people had experienced that? Can you imagine that feeling of just isolation and loneliness? And as Paul writes this, he says, there is faith among all the nations, meaning this, that not only is there Christianity in Rome, there's Christianity in Antioch, there's Christianity in Philippi, there's Christianity in Corinth, and Corinth is bad there's Christianity in Ephesus, there's Christianity all around this world, there's faith among the nations, and sometimes as a Christian, we can hone in on something, we can say, well, I'm the only one experiencing this, I'm the only one feeling this, you are not alone in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there have been other people, both scripturally, and in today's world, who have experienced the same feelings that you feel, and they turn to Jesus Christ, so first of all, you are not alone in the gospel, secondly, You are called by Christ in the gospel. Look at verse number six. He says, Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. You are the called of Jesus Christ. We'll close in just a second about the magnitude of that statement. But then thirdly is you are beloved by God through the gospel. He says to all that be in Rome, beloved of God. And then fourthly is you are a saint through the gospel. You're a saint through the gospel. The emperor who had ran the Christian the, Ju- <coughs> the Jewish Christians out of Rome had made the claim that they were not who they said they were. They weren't as good a people. He, he had, uh, eventually Rome would even begin to be blamed for the fire of Rome would be blamed on Christians because they wanted to paint them as something that they were not. But Christ, the Holy Spirit, through inspiration, tells Paul to tell these Roman Christians, you're a saint. You're something different. You have a holy value, a heavenly value. But then lastly is you've received grace and peace through the gospel. You have received grace and peace through the gospel. He says this, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close with just something. I All week this week, I struggled with how to close this lesson, that is a little bit introduction, a little bit informational, a little bit application, okay? But I struggled with how to close it. And it wasn't until this morning, so you have to forgive me if this is a little bit rusty, okay? It wasn't until this morning that the Lord gave me this thought. When we read down through that list of things that the gospel does in our lives, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, well I knew that, I knew that. But I want you to think for just a moment. I want you to place yourself in the church of Rome. Maybe you're a Jewish Christian that's been exiled from Rome. You got kicked out and and now you've come back. You're trying to reopen a business. You're trying to reestablish your family. You're trying to to rebuild a home. You're, You're trying to do all of these things. You're just trying to make ends meet. And all of a sudden, a letter from the Apostle Paul shows up. Paul writes in a few verses about how he desires to come to them, which, by the way, he does eventually make it to Rome, but not for the, the reasons that he wanted to be there, okay? Paul eventually gets there, but he's writing to them. He says, I wish I could come. And many believe that the reason why he was so detailed in this book as compared to other books is because he doesn't really know what the Church of Rome believes. He's maybe heard good reports. He's maybe seen some of their faith show up. He's maybe even witnessed to people who returned to Rome, but he doesn't know what's going on in that church yet. And he starts off by telling them, this is how the gospel has changed me. I'm now a servant. I'm someone that is separated to the gospel. But this is how good the gospel is. And this is what it is doing in your life. You're a child of God. You're a saint. You're, you're, there's faith among all the nations. There's grace and peace. And can you imagine sitting in that room? The Church of Rome didn't have a building like what we have. They didn't have a worship center. They didn't get their bulletin as they walked in. Okay, so let's kind of get the cultural context. This was probably read in a house. Some people believe that some of the houses in Rome, if you go and look at them, some believe that there could have been groups and gatherings of, of 20 all the way up to 220. Imagine having a house of 220 people gathering around in it, and someone just starts reading a letter from the Apostle Paul. But here's what I want you to see. This was written in 57 AD, so 57 years after Jesus Christ's resurrection and really his death. But 57 years after Jesus has died, Paul is writing to them and he's telling them this. The gospel's been powerful in my life. The gospel is still powerful and the gospel is powerful in your life to change you the same way. And just like that illustration of the Exxon Valdez, how it is one of the largest, largest, whatever you want to call it, okay, ecological failures in our our country. And how yet none of us outside of me who had to go back and Google it and had to do a lot of research and because of who wants to be a millionaire only remembered it, okay? But the same way that none of us remembered the historical ramifications of something that happened at the very beginning of our birth, Sometimes it's easy for the gospel to not have personal ramifications 2,023 years after it occurred. And these Christians in Rome, they saw how big this was. They saw how it changed Paul. They saw how it was powerful. They saw how it even was changing themselves. And please listen to this. 2,023 years later, it's still just as powerful. And my goal and my prayer for you with this book of Romans is simply this, that something that is over 2,000 years old would become real and powerful again to you in your life. That everything you do would begin to revolve around it. That every thought that you think would be, would be seen through the lens of the gospel that every single person that you pass in school or as a coworker, or in a hospital or wherever you're at, you see them as someone that's either separated unto the gospel or separated unto hell. And that's what these Roman Christians were feeling. They were feeling the magnitude of that. And it's easy in 2023 to be just like those Romans and to say, well, I've got to establish a home. I've got to establish a family. I've got to establish a place of work. I've got to establish a career. I have to establish all of these things and to completely miss the power of the gospel in your life. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to say a brief prayer and get you out as close to on time as I can. let
0: Well, thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Crosspoint Podcast. Remember to take a moment to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and tell others about this content. Remember, we would love to have you be our guest in person this Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can connect with us online at frbc.com and we look forward to seeing you again soon.